Can you guys make an awful lot of noise for our main stage speaker tonight, Joshua Luke Smith, everybody? Yes. Amazing. Um, Joshua is, um, you recognize him from last year. He is a poet, uh, runs his own record label. Um, he, you can hear him on Six Music and One Extra. Um, his latest EP, Dead Man, came out this year. Um, do please check it out. Uh, Josh is going to be hanging around to the festival, but I'm so glad, mate, that you're here tonight and speaking. I'm really, really excited about that. But as we always do, we want to get some of you guys to pray for our main stage speakers, so I'm going to hand over to you. Yes, this is Naomi. Give it up for Naomi. Yeah, she, her posse are shouting for her, love it. Uh, so she's from CFC and she is going to pray for Joshua before we begin. Yes, dear Lord, um, I pray for Joshua, Lord. I pray for the word he's going to bring to us, Lord. I pray that our hearts will just be alive for what he needs to say. And I thank you for bringing him, Lord. I knew you prepared this month in advance, Lord. And I pray that as we listen tonight, Lord, we'll just be on fire for you, Lord. And it will just pour out of us all this week, Lord. Amen. 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 Bless you, mate. Hey, what's up, Summer Madness? It's good to be here. I'm so honored. It's the summer and the sun is shining. And there's a couple thousand young people in a tent. This feels like a movement to me. I feel excited. You know, every movement is born with vision. And so before I go any further, I would love it if we can make some noise for uh, John Key and Dolway Johnson, people who had vision to see this gathering happen. Can you put your hands together? Come on. Hey, there you go. I'm so honored to be here. My name is Joshua. I want to tell you three things about me, three things that I love before I get into the word. I love hip hop music, man. We got any hip-hop fans in the house tonight? Anybody hear that new Drake album that dropped today? The, the clean version, though, the clean version. I don't love shaving. I don't shave. Is, is there anybody in the building, any teenagers in the building trying to grow a beard at the moment? Don't shave. Come on. Come on. The, the key is don't shave. Hey, hey, and the third thing, the third thing I love is Jesus. Make some noise if you love Jesus as well tonight. Hey, there you go. Come on. Well, this, um, these next few days, we're gathering around this conversation about truth. And, uh, and I feel very excited to open up the conversation tonight. In John 14, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And this evening, as we get started, I want to explore what the way of truth looks like and what it looks like to walk in the way of truth. Are you with me? Have you got your Bibles with you? Some of you do. All right, let's open up. We're going to read out Mark, uh, Matthew 4 tonight. So if you've got your iPads or iPhones or Androids, whatever, or if you've got an old school leather bound Bibles, you can get it open to Matthew 4. We're going to go from, uh, we're going to go from, let's do verse 18, Matthew 4, verse 18. Here we go. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus walking on the beach. He saw two brothers. Simon, who's called Peter. I always think that's funny. Simon, who's called Peter. It's like I'm Josh, who's called Derek. <laughs> Simon, who's called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. And they were casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, can you say immediately? 
And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two more brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, can you say immediately? And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. I read this scripture about two years ago, Matthew chapter 4. And when I read it, I just felt stunned looking at those two words, immediately. And this question came up in me, which was this. What was it that made these men leave their jobs and leave their fathers to follow this man, Jesus? And honestly, I started to get obsessed with it. And I started to study this passage. I never liked studying until I learned you could study the scriptures. And when you study the scriptures, it feels like studying the face of someone you love. My beautiful wife is here. And sometimes I just look into her face and I study it. Because the more I study it, the more I see that I fall in love with. And when you study the scriptures, there's more that you realize to love about Jesus. So if there's anybody in the room that's, I don't study, I, I don't like school, I don't like studying. When you study the scriptures, you don't become smart. You become intimate with the author. When you get into the word, the word starts getting into you. And so I started reading this scripture over and over. What did this mean? Why did they just leave their boats? And I found something out. Can I, can I geek out on you for a moment? Let me tell you the context of this. Jesus is walking down a beach in Galilee. And Galilee isn't just some humble fisherman village. Galilee is this hotspot for religious and spiritual formation, for education. It's where people come to learn about the scriptures. It's where children are raised in a people who understand what God is like and the call of God in their life. And there was a tradition for young men to study the scriptures. Up until the age of 12, they would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They'd learn it. They'd learn what it was meant the stories, they'd even memorize some of it. And when they got to 12 years old, these boys in Galilee, they would have the opportunity to go from just someone who studied the scriptures to be someone who was called the Talmudim. It's a Hebrew word. And it basically means the student of students. The Talmudim was someone who really got it. They weren't just someone who were interested nine to five reading the Bible. They were someone who desperately wanted the Bible to get into them. There was something about these people at 12 years old that was recognized. They're qualified to step forward, go further, and go higher. And so they would advance and begin studying even deeper. They would start following a rabbi, a teacher. They would go up to the teacher. The Talmudim would go up to the teacher and they'd say, can I follow you? Because I want to learn what it means to be a follower of God. I want to learn what it means to walk in the ways that you walk in. To know the things that you know. Can I follow you? And if the rabbi said yes, because the rabbi saw something of himself in them, then the Talmudim would follow the rabbi. And when I say follow, I mean follow. When you research this, you realize there were some rabbis who let his students walk into the toilet with him. Because they wanted to know how he did everything that he did. They didn't want to just learn what he said. They wanted to learn how to be him. Right? Are you with me still? So you got the Talmudim. But if you didn't become a Talmudim, if at 12 years old you didn't graduate, well, you'd go back and you'd just do the trade that your father did. And in the case of these boys, they were fishermen. And so we know this much about the disciples. They were young men. Any teenagers in the house tonight? All right. This is a story about teenagers. 
This is a story about young men who didn't qualify. It's a story about young men who didn't go where others were going, and so they went back to do what they were capable of doing. They went back to do what they'd always done. They went back to do what they expected that they would do for the rest of their life. But Jesus, on the other hand, we know when Jesus was 12 years old, some of you will know this story, he went missing for a little while. And his mom and dad were petrified. Where did Yeshua go? Where's our son? He's only 12. When they found him, he was sat in the synagogue. He was sat in a place of learning where the older men would come to read about the scriptures. And he was teaching them. It says in the word, it says, the men that were listening to 12-year-old Jesus marveled at what he had to say. And from that day, he grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and with man. So Jesus, the boy at 12 years old, kept getting greater and greater in his authority and in his understanding of the scriptures. And Jesus went on to become a rabbi. We know this. In countless points in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as rabbi, teacher. The Pharisees call him it. The lawyers call him it. The poor call him it. The wealthy call him it. Rabbi, teacher. And I sat with a man that I know who studied, given his whole life to study the rabbinic tradition, who studies what it means to be a rabbi. Spent a lot of time in Israel. And he said to me, you know what, Josh? There was three levels of what it meant to be a rabbi, to be a teacher. The first one was this. The first level were able to read the Torah. They were educated enough that they could read the scriptures. The second level, though, they could teach the scriptures. They would teach what other people had taught about the scriptures. But then there was a third level. And on record, there's only been ever about 120 rabbis who got to this level of authority. And they wouldn't just read the scriptures and teach the scriptures and share what other people had said about the scriptures. No, they would go a step further. And they would bring new revelation about the scriptures. And this level of authority in terms of being a rabbi was defined by this statement. Are you ready? Anybody read the Gospels in the house? All right. This is what they would say. They would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Anybody recognize that? Jesus said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say if you think about your brother with anger, you've already done it. Jesus walked in the level of the highest authority in being a rabbi. When Jesus walked into the room, people were aware of it. He was respected and he was known. Jewish historians talk about Jesus in this respect. So let's go back to Peter for a second. Are you still with me, Summer Madness? All right, Peter is in the boat. He didn't qualify to become the Talmudim. He went back to doing what he had always done. He went back to living the life he was qualified to live. And imagine it on your shoulders being aware that a bunch of people that you've been growing up with have advanced and moved forward. They're now respected and they're seen and they're noticed. And you haven't been seen and you haven't been noticed. And you're doing the same thing your father did and his father did and his father did. And you're living under the weight of feeling unqualified without an expectation for your life that goes beyond what you've seen happen before. And one day you're doing what you've always done, mending your nets. And then Yeshua, Jesus, the rabbi, takes a stroll on the beach. And he walks up to you. 
And remember what I said about the Talmudim. They would go up to the rabbis and they would say, can I follow you? I want to be just like you. And if the rabbi saw as much of himself in them as he needed, he would say, yeah, you can follow me. And if he didn't, he'd say, be gone with you. But it's a little different in this case. Jesus walks up to Peter and his brother and he says, Peter, will you follow me? And Peter chops his net and he gets out of the boat. He throws everything away and he starts following Jesus. And I read this scripture over and over and over again. And you know what I felt God say to me? He said, Josh, their yes was immediate because their perception of Jesus was accurate. They knew who he was. And so they left everything to follow him. Because I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life with very less than immediate yeses. In fact, I've spent a lot of my life following a lot of other things than Jesus. By a raising of your hands, who's got more than 100 people that you follow on Instagram right now? Be honest. And who's got more than 200 people that you follow on Instagram at the moment? Keep your hand up if you follow more than 500 people. Oh, we got a couple. Who follows more than a thousand people on Instagram right now? Make some noise for these guys, they're honest. You've got a busy Instagram feed. But listen, listen my friends, we live in an age, we live in an age of options, right? In any given Starbucks, this is a fact, this is, this is a mathematical fact. There's over 80,000 combinations of Starbucks drinks. We are the option generation. We are known for waiting to hear every single option before we ever commit. You want to come out on Friday night? Uh, yeah, maybe. I'll see who else texts me. I'll see what other Facebook events pop up. That's where we live right now. And as I read this scripture, I feel challenged to the core of who I am. Because it's clear when I'm waiting for something better, my perception of Jesus isn't true to who he truly is. Because Jesus is the only one worth following. Everything else falls terribly short compared to Jesus, the rabbi. If you know the story, you know that Jesus led these fishermen on the adventure of a lifetime. He called them out of what they were capable of doing and qualified for. Jesus leads you beyond what you could take yourself into. Anybody want to go to university? Most of the room, that's amazing. I always wanted to go to university, but when I left my GCSEs, GCSE is still happening. <laughs> All right. When I did my GCSEs, I only got two. And you needed four GCSEs to do A-level A still happening. Smiller <laughs> what? And so I didn't have enough GCSEs to do A-levels, so I didn't do A-levels. And you had to have A-levels to go to university, so I didn't go to university. But when I was about 20 years old, I found myself having this desire to go to university. I hated school. I got suspended five times. I lived in 12 different houses before I was 15. I was constantly moving schools, and I just didn't get on. I'm dyslexic. I'm dyspraxic. I got dyscalculia and ADHD. I got the triple threat. And it just, it just made school a little tough. I know some of you relate. But when I was 20, I got this desire in me to study. I want to learn more and I wanted to study philosophy because I wanted to learn why people think the way they do and I wanted to learn why people chose not to follow Jesus. And so I found my, the university in my city did a philosophy degree. 
So I'm pumped up and I go on the page and it says to study this degree, you have to have a BA level to be accepted. Those without disqualification or something of the equivalent will not be accepted. I'm sat looking at the computer screen and I hear this still small voice say, Joshua, apply, it's my turn. So I apply, knowing that I am not qualified to study philosophy at university. And then one day, a couple weeks later, my washing machine breaks. So I go down to the local laundrette. Anybody got a laundrette near them? I go down to the local laundrette and there's like 20 washing machines in there. And I start putting the pounds in and they fall out. This one's broken, this one's broken, this one's broken, this one's broken, until I realize 19 out of 20 washing machines are broken. There's one that's working. I'm not making this up. And I put my clothes in and I turn it on, it's a two hour cycle. So I sit down, and the minute I sit down, the laundrette door opens and this Buddhist monk walks in. It sounds like a joke, it's, it's not a joke. He walks in with his orange robes. A rabbi doesn't come in next, don't worry. He walks in with his orange robes and he's got two bags of orange clothes. And he starts trying to wash the machines. And I said to him, they don't work, just one of them works. You can either come back in two hours or sit down and have a conversation. And so he sits down, 20 years old. And I say to him, hey, you're obviously Buddhist. He says, yes, I am. How did you know? <laughs> and we, we start having a conversation. I say, hey, I follow Jesus. And we start talking about Jesus and we talk about Buddhism. And I tell him that I spent the first nine years of my life in Pakistan. And we talk about Islam. And then we talk about philosophy. And two hours goes by so quickly. And at the end, he says to me, it's interesting to meet someone your age who's so interested in spirituality and philosophy. Do you study it? I said, no, I don't. He said, have you ever thought about studying it? I said, yes, I have. I've applied, but I'm not qualified to do it. And he said, where have you applied? And I said, I've applied to Bath University. And he said, that's interesting. I'm the head of philosophy at Bath University. <laughs> and the next week, the next week I got a phone call from UCAS and they said, you've been given an unconditional offer to study philosophy. Hey. Hey, and let me, let me tell you what I learned from that. Lean in. Just because you're unqualified doesn't mean you're disqualified. And when Jesus looked into the eyes of those fishermen, he was looking at men who weren't qualified for the task ahead of them. But just because you're unqualified doesn't mean you're disqualified because Jesus isn't looking at you to see what you've done. Jesus is looking at you to see who you're going to become. And he sees himself in you. So he says, you can follow me. That's the power of the gospel. So let's fast forward a minute because we all know what happens with Peter. Peter and Jesus become close, close, close friends. But there comes a point where Jesus, the zealous disciple who loves his rabbi, denies him, not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Why, Peter? When you fell in love with him and you wanted to follow him, why did you deny him? I felt God say, Josh, that's the wrong question. It's not about why he did it. It's about what happened next. You know what happens next is this. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and this is what happens. It's so powerful. Jesus, after his resurrection, finds Peter back where he started, fishing, doing what he was capable of and doing what he was qualified to do. And Jesus says, hey, Peter... 
put your net on the other side of the boat because you're not catching anything. And he does, and he catches so many fish, the nets start to break. And what's so powerful about this, my friends, is Peter first dropped his net in obedience. He saw who Jesus was, and he said, you can have my life. But the next time he dropped his net was with abundance. And when I look out tonight and I see all these faces, I'm fired up. Maybe you can tell. Because I've seen, I don't know how many people we got in here, we're 2,000 deep or something in this tent. And we've got 2,000 people that have come in obedience this weekend. I don't know Jesus. I don't know everything about you. I don't know what this whole gospel means. But I'm going to give the next 72 hours to find out more. I'll be obedient. You've paid money, or your mom and dad have. <laughs> and you're here. And you're ready to lean in. Amen. Who's ready to lean in? You're expectant. You want more. You want more. And Jesus is saying, I want to give you abundance. And I believe that's true. It says in John 10, 10, I have come to bring life and life in abundance. And the word abundance is a Greek word. It's called parisos. And parisos means that which goes beyond what you expected and that which is more than you anticipated. God wants to give you abundance. And I'm not talking about an abundance of a bank account. I'm talking about a life that means something, a life that counts for something, a life that changes the world around you. He wants to give you it. But the precursor to abundance is obedience. And we're obedient to Jesus to the point that we are aware of what he's really like and who he truly is. When we see Jesus for who he is, the rabbi of the highest degree, the sick cycle of searching for affirmation in all the wrong places slowly begins to end. Your desire to be acknowledged by authority and be seen and put on a stage begins to crumble. And your desire to do things that you know isn't you, but you know you'll please someone because you'll do it begins to end. Listen, the things that I've done in my life between 14 and 17 years old, the things that I most regret, I did to please someone I don't even know anymore. I made decisions that denied who I really was to impress people that I don't even follow on Instagram. They're not a part of my life. And what I'm realizing now is when I see Jesus for who he truly is, for who he truly is, I don't need to look anywhere else. The rabbi is looking into my eyes and he's saying, I see a lot of me in you. You want to come follow me? You're mending nets right now. I'll show you how to mend hearts. You're catching fish right now. I'll show you how to catch men and women for my kingdom. It's an adventure beyond anything you could ever expect. And this is what I want to leave you with tonight. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus looks at Peter in the boat for the first time. And he sees a man who is capable and has the capacity to deny him. And he still chooses him. Some of you have come at this conference and you're thinking, I love it. I love the word. I love the worship. I love the seminars. But you don't know what I did last week. I feel like a fraud being here. Jesus knows everything that you're capable of. Jesus knows everything that you've done. Not like a CCTV camera, not spying on you, but as someone walking with you, constantly reminding you, hey, that's not who you are. You look more like me than you think you do. And I'm going to show you what it's like to live and walk in the way of Jesus. He's the way and he's the truth and he's the life and there is no life outside of him. So this weekend... Can we dedicate it around this conversation about truth? Can we dedicate it tonight 
and say to ourselves, I'm letting go of everything I feel disqualifies me to be a follower of Jesus. Can we let go of the, the stories we have in our head and the stories that have been said, said about us and say, this weekend, Jesus, I want to hear your story for my life and I want to step in. I'll drop my net, whatever that net is for you, and I will follow you. If you're down with that, you can stand up right now. You can stand up right now if you're down with that. Come on. You can put your hand on your heart. You can have it down by your, by your waist or you can put it in the air, whatever you want to do. I'm just going to pray. It's you. You can, you can come up now, bro. But I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to mark tonight as the beginning. And, and as people, as I pray, that are just going to start dropping nets. Things that you've been holding on to. This is what makes me important. This is what makes me feel qualified. This is what makes me feel relevant. And you're going to drop your net tonight and look into the eyes of the rabbi who's saying to you, I see myself in you. I see what you've done wrong and I see what you're capable of doing. And I love you. I love you when your intellect denies it and your emotions refuse it and your whole being rejects it. I love you in the morning sun, in the evening rain, and I love you in this moment as you are and not as you should be. Father, I thank you for this gathering of people. I thank you for this movement. I thank you for this generation. Lord, I thank you that the darkness cannot have these people. Lord, I thank you that tonight marks a significant moment for everyone in this tent. A moment of dropping nets and stepping out of boats. A moment of walking in the footsteps of the rabbi. Following the way of Jesus and changing the world with every single step. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.